are in this series or this journey called the story that we've been going through. We are on week 20. We are today finishing up the, the, the Old Testament. So the curtain is closing on, on the Old Testament this week. Um, and we're, next week we begin in, into the New Testament. And as we've gone through this journey, I hope that you've been reading. I hope you've been staying engaged in the story of God in his book, seeing what he's up to and seeing what he desires from us. And as you look at at the banners that are up, if you remember, we we spent about eight or ten weeks on looking at how God formed his people. How from creation up through the time of David, God was creating his people, was making a nation out of which he would bless all peoples. And then things began to go wrong and we see God pursuing his people. And from the time of Solomon on, from the time actually that the children of Israel decided they needed a king, they wanted to be like the rest of the world, God pursued his people. And it seems like they they ran further and further from their God, from the one who loved them and cared for them. And we see that the nation of Israel being divided And the struggle that goes on for hundreds and hundreds of years as God pursues his people. And and so today we see the last in that of God pursuing his people. And, And next week we will see how God begins to save his people. But the book of Nehemiah is where we're at today. I want to ask you to go, first of all, to to chapter 8 in Nehemiah. Nehemiah really is, it's it's the last of the Old Testament writings. Ezra, Nehemiah, and Malachi, all three go together. And Esther, we're all sort of in the same era there at the end of the Old Testament chronologically. And oftentimes we don't look at Nehemiah as the end of the Old Testament because it's found about a fourth of the way into the New Test, uh, into the Old Testament. But Nehemiah is sort of the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the intertestamental period of about 400 years of God's silence. But if you would turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8, and we see that, that after all this struggle, God pursuing his people, God forming his people, ups and downs and twists and turns. All of a sudden, in Nehemiah chapter 8, there's good news. It says, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the books of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men, women, and all who could understand. He read aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of all men and women and others who could understand. And all the people listened intently to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion beside him on his right. And it gives the names of a bunch of guys who I can't pronounce. And he says, then Ezra opened the book and it says all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it up, it says the people stood up. 
Out of reverence for the word of God, they stood to their feet. And it goes on. And, and, and Ezra prays as they were standing. He was standing above them. He opened the book and they stood up. And Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And it goes on and it shows how the people began to repent and to mourn for their sins because God's word pierced them. So revival has broke out in Israel. And when you look at that, you wonder, how did this revival begin? What caused this revival to happen? Well, if you go back with me to the beginning of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1. Now, Nehemiah, it says, was a cupbearer to the king. Basically, he was the guy that protected the king. The king had a glass of wine or something to eat. He was the first guy to test it to make sure that it hasn't been um, poisoned or anything. So he was a very critical person for the king. And he had, um, he had the respect of the king. So he had, a, he had a great job. He had a government job, probably had all kinds of great benefits. But in Nehemiah chapter 1, something happens to, to Nehemiah. It says, so Nehemiah was in the court and it says, Hanani, one of my brothers, this is Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 2. Hanani, one of my brothers came from Judah with some of the other men. I questioned them about their Jew, the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. I remember after, after Israel was exiled out into Babylon, there was a rem, remnant that had, was left in Jerusalem. But there also had been, a, had been some people that had begun to go back. And so, so Nehemiah was asking about those people that were back in in Jerusalem. For some reason, Nehemiah didn't go back when Zerubbabel went back, but he was asking about them. He said, those who have survived the exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And so basically, Israel is in shambles. Even though Ezra has, has restored the temple, parts of it, Israel, basically, Jerusalem is in shambles. And when Nehemiah hears this, it says in verse 4 that I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So when Nehemiah heard what was going on, when he heard about the brokenness, Nehemiah had a burden for this broken city where his, where his roots are at. Now, I find some interesting things about Nehemiah. And actually, as I read Nehemiah over this last week, my prayer was, Lord, change me. Make me like Nehemiah. Yeah, make my heart like Nehemiah's heart because, because I noticed something that Nehemiah didn't do. You know, when Nehemiah heard that, that the wall still wasn't rebuilt and, and that the city was still in shambles, he didn't say, you know what, those bums back in Jerusalem, why aren't they doing something about their brokenness? Why aren't they fixing it? 
And he didn't blame anybody else. Nehemiah didn't say, you know, somebody really needs to go back there and fix that. And somebody really needs to have a heart to go back to Jerusalem and do something about it. He didn't look around to try and find somebody to go and fix the problem. Nehemiah's heart broke for Jerusalem, and so Nehemiah decides he's going to do something about it. What did Nehemiah do? He takes action. You know, how often I think of myself, how often do I see an issue or do I see brokenness somewhere, and I think, you know, somebody really needs to do something about that. You know, I thought about some people in our congregation that, that I think of Mike and Leslie who, who saw something, a need at a trailer park in our community. And rather than saying, you know what, Keith and the youth group, they really need to go do something about that. You know, somebody really, Fleen really needs to take somebody up there. They did something themselves. You know, I look at Merle's and Rogers and, and at their ripe old age, they saw a need. And rather than saying somebody needs to go do something, they did something. Just like Nehemiah. So I want to be more like Nehemiah. I want to be one of those people that when I see something broken, that I take action. Now let's look at Nehemiah's action. You know, he didn't just go right up and do something. He begins by praying. So Nehemiah prays, and, in, and in, in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5, he says, O Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your, your servant is praying before you day and night. And he says, I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands and the decrees of the laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. So, so Nehemiah begins with a time of repentance. Repentance for himself and repentance for, for, for the, the nation of Israel for being disobedient and not obeying God's commands. You know, one of the things that, that, that I think before, before the end of my lifetime that I would dream of I would dream of revival happening in our community. I would dream of, of, of a community that is passionate about Jesus, that becomes broken for their sins and begins to walk with God. But in order for a community to be passionate, I believe we need a church that is passionate. And I pray and I, I dream of a day when our church sees great revival and the churches in our community see great revival. D.L. Moody was once asked, how great revivals begin? And I think you've heard me say this before, but, but Moody said, you take a piece of chalk, you draw a circle with that piece of chalk, you get inside of that circle and you say, Lord, begin revival within this circle. My prayer this week has been that God would begin a revival within me. 
that I would become like Nehemiah. Confessing my sins and the sins of my nation. And that something would stir within me that would give me a desire to go to broken places to help broken people. Because after Nehemiah gets done praying, confessing his sins and the sins of his nation, he puts together a plan. It says in verse 2, it says, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. So he goes out and he surveys the wall. And he sees what's there and and evaluates it and puts together a plan to fix this broken down wall. He goes back to the people and he casts a vision to the people. He says, look, here's what we're going to do. In verse 2 he says, see the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates are burned. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And we will no longer be disgraced. In verse 18 of chapter 2, he says, I told them about the gracious hand of God upon me and what the king has said to me. Let us start rebuilding. So Nehemiah prays. He plans. He casts vision. And then he goes to work. You know, so often we, we pray about something. You know, we see a need out there and we pray for it. You know, we, we, we have a burden for it, but oftentimes that's where it stops. We even can cast vision for it, but oftentimes that's where it stops. What we lack is taking action. Nehemiah took action. I want to be like Nehemiah. I don't just want to sit on my duff and just wish somebody would do something about the problems that are out there, about the brokenness that is out there. I think sometimes that's so easy for us to do. We come here on Sunday mornings, we sit here for an hour, we worship, we do our business, we have our thing, and then we're off to work and nothing changes. When was the last time you were, your heart was broken for a situation Your heart was broken because you saw brokenness in other places. You saw brokenness in your neighborhood. You saw brokenness in a co-worker. And then it broke your heart so much that you began to pray and look for ways to speak into their life. And then you took action and you actually spoke into the brokenness that you saw. I want to be like Nehemiah. I want to take action. The way Nehemiah took action. Now, in the midst of Nehemiah's work, it was what God had called him to. And he went and he met the challenge and he begins to work. But in the midst of our working and and ministering and caring for people, there will always be opposition. Nehemiah faced a lot of opposition from other people. In chapter 4, when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed, and he ridiculed the Jews. And it says, I love the way that he was trash-talking Nehemiah. He says, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring stones back to life? 
from those heaps of rubble. And he says, what they're building, if even a fox climbed on it, it would break down. So they, they were making fun of Nehemiah and the people that were rebuilding the wall. And you know what? When you begin to, to, to do things, when you begin to, to minister, when you're passionate about something and, and you hit it head on, people are going to make fun of you. People aren't going to understand what you're doing. You know, I'm sure um, I can pick on Roger because he's my cousin. You know, I'm sure when Roger at his ripe old age decided they were going to go to, to Ecuador... And give a young girl a home. There are people that are like, what? He's too old for something like that. I even thought that. So people will question you. People will make fun of you. But Nehemiah, thankfully, kept the vision. He, he kept focusing what, on what God had called him to do. He wasn't intimidated, and you can't be intimidated by people that question what God has called you to do. And when Nehemiah was questioned, when Nehemiah was made fun of, when he was ridiculed, I love Nehemiah again prays. He gives it to the Lord. He says, hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over us plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt. So, so Nehemiah prays, says, Lord, take this problem away. But he also takes action. That's one thing you see about Nehemiah. He prays, then he takes action. You see, it requires both. It's not an either or, it's a both and. We need to be praying and we need to be taking action. In Nehemiah 4.9, he says, They plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against us. But we prayed to our God and then we posted the guard day and night to meet this threat. They prayed, they took action. And for us, as we, as we look around us and when we face opposition, we need to pray. But we also need to stay, keep acting. We need to be aggressive. We need to, to be offensive in our, in our um, approach to ministry. But so often when, when we're confronted and, and we're challenged, we sort of, we sort of cower back and, and we second guess and, and we think, well, maybe this wasn't what God wanted us to do because, because we're facing all of this opposition. But Nehemiah knew what he's called to, and he kept, he kept moving forward. He kept his eyes on God. And as a result of his faithfulness, Nehemiah completed the task. The wall was rebuilt in 52 days. And the reason I believe Nehemiah was successful was because, because he was obedient to what God called him to do. He prayed, he sought the Lord, he planned, and then he went into action using people from all walks of life. He used goldsmiths and perfume makers and soldiers and priests to build this wall. 
And everybody together completed this task. And I love what it says in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 16. After this wall had been completed, it says, When all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their confidence. Because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Did you catch that? You see, when, when we begin to do the work that God has called us to do, when we begin to meet the needs around us and people, people see us, um, I hate to use the word success, but, but to make progress and to see change, they see God in it. I believe oftentimes the reason that we don't see revival in our communities and we don't see God working is because we're not willing to join him in what he's calling us to. If we'd be willing to join him in what he calls us to, our world would see the church doing great things through God and they would say, wow, they serve an incredible God. We would make him famous. But too often I'm not like Nehemiah. I'm scared. I'm lazy. I like doing my own thing. I'm comfortable in my position. But when we're willing to get out of our comfort zone and do what God calls us to do, we make him famous. And it is through things like that that we will see revival. And that's exactly what we see here in Nehemiah. That the Bible brings revival. But I believe it was the work that Nehemiah did. Remember, God's upper story and lower story. Upper story, God's great plan of redemption. And in that plan, God used Nehemiah to bring revival to Jerusalem. And we see here that that after the wall had been rebuilt, the people saw what God did through them. They got excited about who God was. And and so when they get together in Nehemiah chapter 8, he says, they said, get the Bible out. Get God's word out. We've missed it. We need it. And so it says when Nehemiah or when, when Ezra the priest got the Bible out and people saw him open the Bible, it says that that they stood up. Because of their awe and their reverence for God's word. Wouldn't it be awesome if we would have such an awe and reverence for God's word that that every time that we read from it, you all would stand up because of your reverence for the word. Not only does it say that they stood up, but but as he began to read and they began to be convicted, they lifted their hands and and they worshipped God. And then it says, when they recognized their sinfulness, they fell on their faces before God and repented of their sins. When was the last time I fell on my face before God because I was repenting of my sin? See, this word is powerful. This word is active The New Testament says it is what brings revival. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says every word of God is flawless. It is a shield to those who take refuge. Psalm 19 says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Hebrews said the word of God is living and active. 
sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirits, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And that's what was happening here in Nehemiah. People were being judged. They were being cut to the heart. The word exposed the sinfulness in their lives. And they began to repent and fall on their faces before God. Now, it's really cool as you read this week, and I encourage you to read, read the whole book of Nehemiah, not just the chapter that we're in, but, but it says that, that Nehemiah, uh, that, the, that the priest, they went out and they said, look, don't, don't mourn, you know, don't cry. This is a time for rejoicing and celebrating what God has done. And so they go out and they celebrate the Feast of Booths. Then it says in chapter 9, which is really cool, it says, Then the next day, it says that all of the family heads got together the next day. In other words, all of the men, all of the dads got together to hear more of the word of God so that they could teach their children about the word of God. So, so the men got together, and I believe for revival to happen in a community, for revival to happen in a church, I believe men are the ones that have to be convicted and that have to experience revival and lead their homes in that revival. Revival happens among women. I, that, this is not a chauvinist statement, but I believe that for revival to happen, that men have to get serious about their relationship with Jesus Christ. And they have to get serious about communicating and teaching their families about Jesus. And their children have to see a relationship with Jesus that is authentic and real. And I believe that's what happened here is these men realized that they were not leading their homes the way that they were called to lead their homes in the book of Deuteronomy. And so they were coming back together to find out more about what it means to be leaders in their homes. But through this, I believe the work that, that Nehemiah did, through Nehemiah's obedience in going and rebuilding the brokenness that was in Jerusalem, that was in the city, the, the physical brokenness that was happening, I believe then when the word, it opened people's hearts up to, to receiving the word, and when the word was preached, revival happened. It says in verse 8, it says, they broke out in worship and confessing, and, and, and then the men all came together. Then in chapter 9, it says, on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. And the, and, and the Israelite descent had separated themselves from foreigners, and they confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. Revival, repentance of sins was going on. It says they worshipped the Lord their God. God used Nehemiah. It was Nehemiah's obedience to what God had laid on his heart that I believe brought Israel to this point of revival. He saw a great need and he did something about it. He saw a city that was physically in ruins. He saw a city that had great needs. And Nehemiah went there out of obedience and he gave this city hope. In the process, he also brought hope 
to a spiritually broken city. And we see God using that brokenness to bring revival. He see God using Nehemiah to bring revival. My question this morning to us, what is God calling you to? What has God made you passionate about? Where do you see brokenness? Are you looking for brokenness? Do you care? Do I care about brokenness or do I just care about self? And I believe that this word is what makes us sensitive to the brokenness around us. And I believe if we're not in this word, we will become self-consumed, that we will become self-absorbed, and that only I will matter and nothing around me, nobody else around me will matter enough that I'm willing to do something about it. But I believe when I get into the word that is living and active, I have a reverence for it. It causes me to to raise my hands in worship and to fall on my face in confession. Then I will begin to have a set of eyes, spiritual eyes, to see the needs around me, to see the brokenness around me. And it will also give me a heart to go to meet the needs of the brokenness around me. And in the process, I believe God is glorified. I believe revival can happen. But it has to begin with you and I caring about the brokenness that is in our community and in our world enough that we're willing to do something about it. Because it is our willingness to act that will bring revival to a broken person, that will bring revival to a broken family, that will bring revival to a broken city, that I believe will bring revival to a broken world. But it starts with each one of us being willing, having spiritual eyes to see And then be willing to go. Are you willing to go? Father, we thank you this morning for the the, uh, example that, that your man Nehemiah set for us. His willingness to leave his place of comfort and to go to a broken place, to a needy place. Because you called him to go there. Because he was passionate about going there. Father, I pray that you would give us the same desire, the same passion. Lord, right now, this morning, I pray that you begin to break us and um, break our hearts for, for broken places and broken people. Give us wisdom and courage to go and meet the brokenness that is around us. Help us with spiritual eyes to see the brokenness that is around us and and the needs that are in the places that we work and in the schools that we go. Help us to break down the barriers that that, uh, exist. Lord, just give us hearts that care. 
Give us the desire to, um, to step into those places. And Lord, I pray that revival would begin. First of all, in, in my heart. Revival would begin in our hearts. And Lord, through the way we live our lives, through the way we approach brokenness and needs around us, Lord, your name would be honored and glorified. You would be lifted up. People would would know you because of the way we live our lives. And Lord, through our meeting needs, give us wisdom to know how to introduce Jesus. And so, Father, as, as we go from here, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would empower us to go, to see, to pray, to act. And then see you glorified in the process. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.